Well, good evening, everybody. This is number two of the Onion and Ringwood podcast. It's not Andy for a change. It's uh, 4D. Andy is a very, very busy man. That's what he tells me anyway. Um, Duncan Johnson has also run away bravely like a big scaredy cat. Uh, so they have left me in charge. Uh, well known for my ability with electronic machines. I have some very eminent guests with us this evening. Uh, we'll go around the room. Ladies first. Who, do, who, do we, who else do we have with us tonight? So, hi, I'm Hannah Ravos. Um, I coach at the club, the under-18s and under-15 girls, um, and have coached, actually, right the way from when my son was in under-6s age group, um, and he's now in under fourteen. so so quite some time. Um, but, but I avoid the, the boys and the mixed rugby now, and I just focus on the girls' position. <laughs> you can't beat an under-14 boy, can you? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> And who else? Who else do we have? Roger, let's start with you. Hi guys, I'm Roger Tomey. I'm the under 11s um, head coach presently. Similar to Hannah, started at under sixes, um, and each age group um, followed the club. Started off when my son came to the um, came to the club age four, so a couple of years in under sixes, and then off they moved through the age groups. Um, and I'm pleased to say my daughter um, has also been at the club now for two years. Uh, Sophia, she started a little bit later, but when she was 10. Um, you know, and it's their progression and enjoyment through the club that keeps myself and also a lot of us coaches there at the moment. Thank you, Roger. Chris, we're, we're down to you now. Yeah, hi everyone. Chris Tunnicliffe here. So I am the junior chair and I also get to coach the under-14s. Haven't done much coaching this year yet though, obviously. Um, I first turned up at the club when my son was an under-7, stood on the touchline. I think I managed that for about two weeks before I wandered over to Hannah and asked if she needed a hand, which she promptly uh, snapped off without even thinking about it. and, and haven't looked back, to be honest. So I've coached them all the way through the under sevens up to now under fourteens, and uh, yeah, a lot, of, lot more t- testosterone flying about now, and uh, much bigger and more physical, and, and it's getting to the fun stuff now where uh, they're really enjoying the contact. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? When you when you follow an age group through, and then all of a sudden you're a looking up to them. And be thinking to yourself, oh, I'm not really sure I could stop that if it uh, came running down my channel. It's um, I, I just want to quickly drop into that. So exactly. you're, you're all you're all vol- you're all volunteers, aren't you? We, we you're not paid to coach by anyone, anyone either the club or RFU or anyone like that. No, no I'm definitely absolutely. definitely a volunteer. Okay, so give me give I me don't a ballpark. Think, um, yeah. I, I, don't think any of us went into it. <laughs> Going smoothly. <laughs> give it. Give me some idea then. Give the listeners some idea of how many hours a week you contribute voluntarily then to rugby and through that into the club. Well, I'll, so, I'll start then. So for the under-11s, we have... Um, I mean, I probably do about three or four hours a week. So that's preparation, execution of the training, uh, talking to parents, uh, talking to players, um, evaluating what we've done, what went well, that kind of thing. But when you look at the larger picture, where we've got at least five coaches normally on the pitch at any one time, who are giving up two hours a weekend of their time as well, per age group, you know, I don't know, you're looking somewhere between sort of 10, 15 hours a week per age group. Um, and that's going all the way through the club. Hannah, how, so, yeah, how about you? From, from my perspective... <laughs> Go on, Chris, you seem very keen to get in there. <laughs> so from Chris, my perspective... tell us about your perspective. My perspective. I am... I, um, Similar to Roger, right? from a coaching perspective, I'd say it's probably about five or six hours a week because when you go up to juniors, you do a midweek session as well. Um, and you can see the kids really develop when they've got those two sessions a week. You're able to spend that bit more time with them and really focus on the rugby skill set and, and the enjoyment they get out of it seems to grow exponentially as well. So 
what we've also found is when you get into juniors, it, it does take a little bit more effort as well. You start to play matches most weekends, so you have to organise that, get referees involved, organise the food, etc. And so you do start to lean on the wider group um, from a parent's perspective particularly and really look to them to help out with getting the meals ready, laying out the tables, setting up the pitches beforehand. And, and I have to say, for my age group, it's been fantastic that number of parents have quite willingly put their hand up and it's a small amount it's setting the pitch up or whatever but it all helps and it all means that the kids get a really good experience and are able to enjoy the match days um, on a Sunday morning. Hannah talk to me about your your hourly totals for on behalf of the club. It's probably fairly similar to Roger um, in that we, we coach for an hour and a half a week we do a midweek session um, and when the girls are in a normal sort of playing season then there will be competitive matches probably every other weekend um, or so as we go through the season um, I, I do not only the coaching but the managing as well so that is you know managing the whatsapp the spawn groups and like like Chris was saying even coordinating and touching base with other clubs all all takes its time um, you know it's a relief that we've got things like technology to actually alleviate some of the pressure around you know setting it up and not having to monitor a feed of who's playing who's not playing um etc but you know i think it's it's it is fairly stressful um at some times in the year and uh, you know i think we get to the end of the season and we're very much relieved that the season is over we you know we thoroughly enjoy it but there is a bit where not to have those pressures at weekends with family and a full-time job um does become a bit of relief but the what I think the players get from it, what the girls get from it, in particular, far outweighs any effort, you know, that, that myself and the coaching team put in on a Wednesday evening or a, or a weekend session. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's invaluable in terms of their, you know, enjoyment, their development, their socialisation. Um, you know, it's for many of the girls, it's a new sport. Um, so we spend, you know, a fair chunk of time on working on the fundamentals, um, you know, and, and, and dealing with that, again, can be quite time consuming. I think, you know, when the boys sport, a lot of them come up through it and you might have one or two new players join a year. But actually with the girls, it's quite a significant each year. And so you have got that bit of going back to basics. And, and that means that you just have to prep your sessions a little bit more smartly in, in terms of, you know, mixing it up and, and giving some time to actually develop confidence in tackling and, and, and technique and things like that. Roger, coming to you, Hannah's touched on it very eloquently that not only does she deal with the coaching side and the player development side and the ensuring that everybody is active within the session, um, do you have a similar experience in relation to managing? Do you manage your side as well or do you rely on off-pitch voluntary work? So I would class a coach as on-pitch and all the other lovely people as off-pitch. Do you have a little army behind you in your age group? Yeah, we we we're incredibly lucky. Um, <clears throat> when we were in the in under sevens, one of the head coach we had at the time, um, unfortunately, again with the time pressures, he wasn't able to give it the time that he wanted. So he stepped back. Um, similar story to a lot of clubs and a lot of age groups. Um, I stepped forward, um, and then literally behind me, every year we get two or three people asking to join the coaching setup. We're up to six coaches at the moment, and that's on field. Um, so we can get to a session where we might have 15 people in the session and half of the, uh, half of the children's parents are on the pitch helping out. Um, and as Chris said as well, it is absolutely invaluable because it's the cones, it's the ideas. I'll come up with the plan, uh, nine out of ten sessions, but when we do our little briefing at the beginning, one of the other coaches may add something in, they might notice that one of the players hasn't been getting involved or that someone's cat's been ill and we need to just keep an eye on so-and-so. And having that range of coaches, both male, female, experienced players, never played before, teachers, all of that is absolutely brilliant because nobody, or certainly I don't know how uh, to coach with kids in the perfect fashion, but as a team, we're getting closer. Um, and what I would say as well is I'm lucky in the fact that, A, I've got a great bunch of coaches with me and a great team. However, 
with my daughter playing, I watch for coaches and I stand on the sideline like a parent. I'm um, sure that that's a good thing, looking at the girls, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> well, the the but I, again, I'm not just looking at the girls. I'm looking at the coaches from a from a that's a, a bit like you would a, a professional <laughs> point of view, and it's brilliant watching the coaches enjoy themselves. Is exactly how I feel and my guys as well. Yes, the kids love it, and we're doing it for the kids. But do you know what? We really enjoy it. And as a parent, stood there watching the coaches laugh and joke and enjoy themselves. But actually, a really high quality of coaching. It is lovely as a parent as well. So I'm sort of privileged on both sides. Chris, is that replicated across yours as well? Yeah, absolutely is. Uh, pretty much the same as Rod just said. We've got we've got a great group of coaches and <clears throat> they're all able to take the lead and offer ideas and different perspectives on things, which makes things really easy, to be honest, because you can turn up a lot similar to Roger. I come along with the main idea from the plan perspective, but they all, all have an input and throw ideas into it as well. The other thing, I, I think from a volunteer perspective, certainly from my perspective, is that a lot of it is about giving back. So my my kind of rugby journey has been from the age of 11 onwards when I turned up at senior school and got kind of thrown in at the deep end in rugby, which is probably most of our experiences or most people's experiences. And just looking back at the number of coaches and, and the life experiences you get and the, and the amount of time other people have put into you from a development perspective, a large reason why I do it is to be able to give that back to to a, a really great group of kids, both my age group, but also the wider club as well. And so for me, it, it's really, it, it's a great feeling that you're able to share those experiences, share the enjoyment of the game and, and really get across all of the values of rugby and what it's about to to a group of kids. That's really, I mean, it's really fantastic to hear that the coaches are, enjoying it but also that we have you know armies of volunteers that are maybe they feel at this moment in time coaching is just a bit too far for them but they're they're happy to come along and support and perhaps put put some pies in the oven or wash some kit or help us put some flags out that's it's invaluable and literally without it we can't we can't do it can we um let, let me just come back to no, you Hannah, because... and they, quick, they quickly learn the standards <laughs> let, let me quickly come back to you Hannah because you're you're coaching in an area at the minute where because we don't have um because we haven't had the the fluidity of play and training you will have a group of players coming up through your cults either coming into your cults or moving out of your cults into senior uh, senior rugby um who perhaps yeah. it could be viewed haven't been properly prepared in so much as they haven't played enough games normally we would try and um in, integrate the senior cults into the third or the second team for one or two games just so they can get feel of it um how do you think that's going to mm. affect your your players when we are allowed to pull the trigger again in September? I think it will have an impact. I, I think, you know, across the age group, so whether we're talking about the under-15s or the under-18s, you know, that are just about ready to, to go in, you know, a lot of the girls don't join until they're under-15. You know, we've had a huge influx at the club recently. Um, and I do think, you know, many of the skills are transferable. You know, the principles of attack and, and defence, you know, if the girls are netballers or footballers you know they, they won't be um, you know there won't be elements of the game that are unknown to them I think it's it's some of the more technical elements you know when we start to talk about line outs and scrummaging um, you know and th th that's the bit that they they don't have the skills they don't, they, for many of the girls they might not have actually seen a full-sided game on the telly you know they just know that their mates say it's a great laugh and they should come along and, and have a go and get involved um, so I think it is about going back to the basics. It is about conditioning games. It is about allowing them to, you know, for us to differentiate the, the sessions and and to make sure that we've got opportunities for for players to be flexible. You know, sorting out the the you know the spacings on the pitches so that the the more able learners and players are able to to be stretched and extended. 
Um, whereas, you know, those that are, are new to it and, and perhaps lack the confidence in some of the fundamental skills actually have zones in which they can reinforce those skills. So, you know, there, there's no doubt that there will be um, a gap, um, particularly in the games play. And I think the girls learn so much from playing the games, um, particularly in terms of, you know, sort of short, short half sessions, um, you know, rather than a full sort of 80 minutes really helps them to stop and reflect. So, you know, from our perspective, we'll condition games, we'll, we'll be setting up activities and, and giving them the opportunity um that you know and, and and we like the girls to take the lead we like them to say to us what they need to do and what they want to work on and for them to take ownership so you know again like like the rest of them we've got experienced coaches um who who are good at evaluating what's working and what's not working and and not just waiting till the end of a session but actually being able to stop a game and give feedback or stop a training drill and give feedback and and, and set a condition that that supports them to to make those improvements so yeah I think confidence is going to be a major thing I, I think I think we'll have two ends of the spectrum those that think they're invincible and that they've remembered all of it and then there'll be the others that will be shying away from from contact so it's trying to find a, a happy medium I think within that that setup to make sure that they they've got it particularly because the contact is so risky if it's not done properly I mean We'll come on to it in a bit, I'm sure. But, you know, when we talk about the, the concussion risk that's there, you know, we, we try to do everything we can to make sure that they're safe. And that comes from good tackling technique and good rucking technique, um, you know, and understanding the rules and what they can and can't do, really. So, yeah, work to do. Um, but looking forward to it. Roger, do you, I mean, heard what, what Hannah said there. Um, she's in the position where her players will be rotating into Colts and from Colts into seniors, um, you're maybe a little bit further down the chain where your your rugby is tweaked, um, probably unnoticeably to your to your players in respect of, or we can have one extra player now, or you know it's it's a ten minute aside. Or, what, what are your views about the the gap that these senior players have had as they take that leap into the age into the senior from age grade rugby? I think I think that probably Hannah's absolutely right that the girls kind of influx a lot more at an older age group. Um, the lads tend to drip in and out um, as they go. From certainly from our age group, we found that we've we've kept a few players when the game format changed. So when the tackling was came out of it or went to two lots of ten minutes we kept a few of the players who perhaps weren't enjoying the, the contact side. So they stayed because we were doing lots of other games and were ready for rugby and all that kind of good stuff. So that had a positive effect on half of it. But I think, and again, with the, and again, thinking back as, as Chris was doing earlier to my own playing career, at the age of 13, 14, 15, kind of 16, the big lad on the pitch originally, when you came back from the school holidays, wasn't as big anymore because everybody else had caught him up. Or the lad who was struggling in the centre was suddenly the fastest kid on the pitch. So there will also be some um, physical changes within those players. Some of them will have uh, worked out at home every two, three times a week and come back fit as a fiddle. Some of them will have just shunned it and played on a PlayStation. So there's, a, there's an awful lot in the mix <laughs> there's an awful lot in the mix of who's going to come out you know when the bell goes and, and how do we um ensure that everyone's going at the same pace if you like you know and it doesn't really matter what age that's going to be but i think the crucial bit is those contact points is the tackle is the rucking is the laws of the game um, and certainly the tackle technique certainly at my age group is, is the absolute key get that right and that's 90 percent of collisions um but I think the good thing that we certainly at Ellingham uh, and Ringwood focus on is the ev evasion side of the game being the major part. So if we can continue to concentrate on the evasion and not the collisions, hopefully we will minimise those. Um, but yeah, certainly I think the physicality and again, of people being able to do different things will, will excite an awful lot of them when they come back. Hmm. Chris, what, what are your views on what's been said so far? Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I think from a junior perspective, there's a slightly different 
um, an interesting dynamic. So I don't know if our listeners are aware, but the rule set increases as you go through the junior age group. So the numbers increase on the pitch. You start introducing scrums. Uh, Under 14s, you start to introduce line outs. So you're missing some key fundamentals of the game because we haven't been able to coach them this year. So if I look at my age group, for example, we've done no lineups because obviously coronavirus has prevented us from having that close contact. But then I think about, well, that's the same for every every club at that age group. Nobody's going to have been able to do lineups. So it's going to be interesting to see when we do get back, hopefully next season, to, to kind of normality, how clubs have adjusted to that and whether actually we're still on a completely level playing field and, and nobody's really been able to progress th- those new aspects of the game. Or or to Roger's point, maybe some clubs have got kids that have grown twice the size and, uh, and are outweighing each other or faster or whatever the case may be. So I think it's a bit of a voyage into the unknown because you, you don't really know how other clubs are going to adapt to it and so what the game situations are going to be like in a, maybe a team that put 50 points on you one season, you're now beating or vice versa. Um, and then I think about from a kid's perspective, the whole idea of the, uh, if you like, increase in, in uh, technical skill set and increase in the rules is to allow that kind of slow adoption, to allow the the key elements of those disciplines to be embedded firmly. So if we've missed all that for a year and we haven't done uncontested lineups, which is the big change for us this year, what happens next year? Do we go straight into contested lineouts? All of a sudden, are you kind of getting barged out of the way and there's the kind of risk that you haven't embedded that kind of key skill set of being able to lift carefully and correctly and lower them back to the ground. So I, I think from a coach's perspective, I mean, obviously my first consideration is the safety of my players and making sure they're doing things correctly, as Hannah said, instilling that uh, core basic skill set so they're doing things well. Um, It'll be interesting to see how other teams have adapted to that and, and how they've approached things. But we're going to have to take it step by step and make sure that we take the time to embed those skill sets before we get to matches so that when we do start contesting against other teams, it's done in a safe environment. Yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, one thing I would say to the to the listener or perhaps the, the the younger player is, do you know what, guys? You you're making history. You will have been the first group ever not to have had uh, the the normal transition across your age group. You'll be the first group ever to come back to rugby having missed an entire um, an entire season. And in ten fifteen years' time, you'll be able to look back on that. With some uh, with with some comfort, I would imagine in in the club bar having a bit. Oh, do you remember that twenty twenty one season when I didn't use my boots once? But the RFU are making inroads into it. Um, Nicola McComb, who's our new uh, regional development officer, spoke to her very recently. She's taken on the post, following on from the really good work that Kieran has done, um, and they are aware. We had a, a meeting over this similar format not so long ago where a lot of clubs are expressing the same concerns that they have players that they just don't know what's going to happen when we're able to restart. What I can assure the listener, the coaches, the volunteers is that whatever happens for us will be happening for other sides. Um, We would wholeheartedly embrace as a coach myself, the the gentleman's agreement or the ladies' agreement at the start of the games in order that all the players contribute, um, etc. We certainly don't want anybody uh, injured by virtue of the fact that they're inexperienced in what they're doing. And that leads us lovely into uh, concussion. Sorry, Hannah, yes, please come back to me with that. No, I, I was just going to say, I think, I think you were talking about, you know, that, that gentleman or, or, or ladies' agreement. I think... One of the things that we do a lot within the girls is is to agree before we get to a game how we're going to play it. And, you know, we talk about who we've got on the pitch. We talk about their level of experience. And, you know, we know that the rules are there, um, you know, and, and whilst there, many of them are complex and many, um, you know, actually it is about agreeing what adaptations we will make, you know. And, and I think that that's absolutely essential you know, particularly as some weeks we'll have different players on the pitch, you know. So the clubs that we work with within Hampshire um, and, and the surrounding area are great. You know, there's a real ethos of developmental, 
um, support between the clubs, you know, and, and I've never stepped onto a pitch and felt that we had to play the full 18-a-side rules or the 15-a-side rules. You know, we have that coach-to-coach conversation, a professional conversation um, that says, actually, this is this is what we think would be a good start for our players, you know, and if it is a, a walkover or if it's try after try, that can be quite demoralising, then we put conditions in, you know, to, to ensure that ultimately the players get enjoyment and some success um, from from that game. So, Chris, talk, talk to me I, about I think the other interesting thing... Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think the other interesting thing from this year and from our club's perspective, which is really pleasing to see, is that I don't think the numbers have dropped off across pretty much any of the age groups, uh, uh, kids first and junior perspective. And so... That gives me heart that we're doing things right and the kids are really enjoying the session. So even when we came back after the first lockdown, the numbers were the same. We were still able to give them sessions that they were enjoying and really getting a lot out of. Um, and I know a, a lot of the age groups are kind of doing interactive stuff over Zoom and, and so forth during these periods where we can't do training sessions with them. And so hopefully hopefully before next season, maybe April, May timeframe, we will be able to get back on a field and hopefully we'll still see the same numbers come back and, and be able to create that same level of enjoyment. Yeah, let's 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 hope so. The uh, as I say, we we are making history, um, and it definitely is going to be a case that the RFU will have to support us clubs in our in our region in our hub to ensure that the players are actually enjoying whichever style of rugby we need them to enjoy at that time. Um, Roger, let let me come to you. Have you ever been knocked out <laughs> with a nose like this several times? <laughs> if if, yeah, if I may dig into all that, of them on on a rugby pitch, all of them on. Uh, have it been hospitalised during a concussion, or are these been ones that yes. have been treated? Yeah. Okay, uh, Hannah. Um, I yeah, go on. Sorry, Hannah, can Sorry, I ask you? I've never played. <laughs> ask away. <laughs> and he's going to have a lot of editing to do on this, isn't he? <laughs> this is lovely. It'd be absolutely fine. Chris, let's come to you. Have you ever been knocked out? So, so surprisingly, and I've obviously played with you, Rob, so over many years, but no, I've never been knocked out either on a rugby pitch or anywhere else for that matter. Um, I've had a couple of other injuries and I obviously go down pretty much every game I ever play in. But no, I've never had the misfortune <laughs> to actually be knocked out. Um, I, I know other people that have, but managed to avoid it myself. Chris certainly did have the title <laughs> 10, 15 years ago of man most likely to be injured during a game. Um, I think he took that award at the club, <laughs> club dinners one, one or two times, uh, one or two years in a row. Um, let, let's talk about concussion in our younger players then, because as an adult, obviously, if you're if you're concussed, we we would expect you to know the difference between which which post you're aiming for a particular half of the match. But let's let's talk about the younger player, how how we manage concussion. At Ellingham and Ringwood for our for our younger players, who would like to go first? Let, let let's come to you, Roger. Well, yeah, I'll take that one. Um, as, as certainly looking at the younger age groups currently, it's to go back to earlier on. I remember playing um, uh, back in my day when I remember being concussed on the pitch and actually not being taken off. And at that point, I just wanted to stay on the pitch. Um, is only afterwards where you're sick, you then get hospitalised and, and all the rest of it. And thank God that won't happen to players nowadays, um, or shouldn't, let's say. At the younger age group, one of the great things of being forgetful, uh, not from a concussions, but just as a general uh, person, and I think the same as everybody in my, my teaching group and our, and our age group, is we keep losing our concussion certificate that we keep re- being um, required to have. So when we do the online learning, you get the certificate and, um, and and you're supposed to keep it somewhere safe, which we never do. So it's actually easier to go on and redo the course than look harder for your certificate. 
So, so most of us in our age group have done the online headcase um, award four or five times. So we're pretty good now at uh, the policies, procedures and everything to keep the kids safe. So there's a lot of eyes on the kids, a lot of um, understanding of what we should be looking for. Um, and that goes into the, into the parents as well. Um, and what's nice is that the, the joined up thinking between schools, rugby clubs, hockey clubs and everything else, again, to give the kids an overall safety net rather than individual pockets of, of where, where they practice their, their sports or their activities. Let, let me come to Hannah on that, because Hannah, you're, you're, you're in education. You presumably have had players come to you on, uh, sorry, students come to you on a Monday or a Tuesday and maybe aren't, aren't quite the normal, the normal student do you you obviously get notified by the rugby club at the school? Do you, or what's the system there? Yeah, I mean, I work in post sixteen, and and we still get those notifications um, sort of through. So, you know, it is it is vital. I, I think a, a child often thinks that they're invincible, or they don't recognise the, the the potential short or long term sort of impact or you know long uh, I suppose you know the physical elements as well as as the mental bit of it and I think you know that they they walk in and they think that they're good to go um, and I think the joined up bit particularly with schools is vital because it allows those PE teachers to say I'm sorry you're you know you're effectively suspended from sport um, until that that phase return is is, is completed and you know, we know as, as having come from a secondary school background that that can be really frustrating to have children that aren't engaged and, and are sat out, but that actually their welfare is, is the most important thing. And, that, and therefore we take those notifications really, really seriously, um, you know, as, as we should and, and, and the other way around, you know. So we know that some, our, some of our girls are playing in, you know, in, in their school teams um, and, and will play in tournaments and and have concussion again we get that notification back the other way saying actually there was an incident you know on the school team on Monday and therefore they now can't can't play or train until they follow through the the the, the phased return to play so yeah it's it's vital Chris let, let's drop down to you um you 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 will have seen concussion undoubtedly in your playing days and in your coaching days do you think the RFU and by default the club are doing enough for concussed players yeah I, I I think the positive thing about concussion is just the awareness that's around now if I think back to when I was a kid um, I still remember playing a football match and one of my friends getting concussed during that he didn't realise at the time. We didn't realise at the time. He started saying some very strange and random things, asking us what the score was every couple of minutes. We just thought it was funny because we had no idea. Concussion wasn't something that anyone had ever talked to us about and we didn't even know what it was. I think it's very different nowadays. I think, um, obviously, as coaches, we're very aware of it, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But I think the parents are very much more aware of it nowadays. And also the kids are as well. They understand that, if they get a bang to the head, then it can be serious. And I think, certainly speaking about my age group, that they all understand and respect that. So when things do happen, you have a conversation with them and you say, look, you're showing signs of concussion and the RFU guidance is there is no suspected concussion in uh, children's rugby. Um, you, If you've taken a bang to the head and you're showing any symptoms, you are concussed. Then they understand that that means they have to miss a period of time. And, Actually, in all of the scenarios I've had, and I've had a couple of over the years, the parents have been fantastic about it as well. They fully understand that you can't take this stuff too seriously, that it has to be, you have to go through the, the, the graduated return to play protocol. And that's very clear as guidance set out by the RFU. There's no moving away from it. You have to go through all of the stage returns and, and show that you aren't then exhibiting signs of concussion before you can come back and play. So I think the knowledge is out there, the understanding is out there, and I think most importantly, people, the awareness and people understand it and respect what needs to happen. Um, and so I feel like you can operate in an environment as a coach and as a first aider where you can protect the players as much as possible now, which is obviously the main thing here. 
Yeah, I Sorry, Hannah. Let, let me just introduce the the Irish the, the Ireland game during the weekend, where I was very surprised to see the two very large Irish players have a clash of heads with enough force to split open both of their uh, both their foreheads and be sent off to have shirts replaced and glue presumably stuck in the cut. Yet there was no mention at that point of uh, an HIA. Well. Surely, if you've hit your head hard enough to split the skin, um, the common sense approach would be for that to happen. Do you think there's a place for that in in the youth side of the concussion? That if you if a player has a black eye, for example, do we you know and is showing no signs of concussion? Would we perhaps be mindful to remove them? straight away just in case or do you think we got the balance about right roger let, let me come to you on that um to be honest i think uh, it's a world apart from elite level to kids enjoying their, their sunday morning um as quite rightly there should be and i think what chris said earlier i'd totally echo which is no suspected if there's any if there's any uh, head kind of collision or anything like that, we would pull someone off the pitch. Um, we've not, we've luckily we've only had to do it once or twice, um, but the age group certainly that I've got and, and those around me on, on the pitches next doors that, that we all see as well, it very, very rarely happens. But when it does, everybody's around. Um, and we've had players come back the next week when they're part of their uh, return to play scheme, if you like, um, knowing full well that they can't take part, they've just come along with their parents to watch watch the session. Um, so I don't think there's in any way, shape, or form that we can relax it um, because it's a player's player's welfare is number one, um, and we can't have anybody turning up and playing on because they're big and tough and hard. That's that's not what rugby is anymore. Um, you know, we've moved on from that. It's about players' welfare and letting them uh, leave the field, hopefully just about as fit as they were or slightly fitter than when they started the field. Um, so, no, I don't think we can relax anything. And if, if we suspect anything, then it's, it is concussion. Mm. Hannah, you had, a, you had a point on that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the fact that we hear the HIA you know, being called on the pitch in, in, in the elite game, I think helps to reinforce how seriously it's taken. Um, again, you've got to keep it in perspective, haven't you? You know, they're sat there with people trained and, and people watching replays of, of it. We've got limited number of coaches watch, watching a game, you know, and, and we're not going to be able to spot every single contact. And I, and I think that's where the awareness comes into it. You know, talking to players, talking to parents about, you know, any sickness, any dizziness, even later on in the evening and, you know, saying to them to avoid things like going on to electronic games, you know, if they have had any kind of knock, all of those kind of key bits are really important because, you know, we, we, we don't have eyes in the back of our, our heads. Even us teachers don't have eyes in the back of our head as much as students might think we do, you know. So you are then very reliant on the wider rugby community understanding what the potential side effects of it are um, and also being able to report that I mean we talk a lot about to players you know if you leave this is what you're looking for into those parents but saying to them you must come back to us because actually we also then have a responsibility on that reporting line um, to follow it up um, you know and, and to do those welfare checks as we go through the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, it sounds sounds like we're all on the same um, we're all on the same sheet. We're aiming that we have players that participate, they enjoy it, and we're looking to ensure that, as as you said, Roger, when they walk off the pitch, they're um, they're slightly fitter. That certainly wouldn't be the case in mine and Chris's day. Uh, I can't think of a single game that we played together when we walked off fitter than we did when we started. We digress. Let's look forward uh, a little bit then. Let's look forward a little bit into into the summer then. Let's go. Let's let's think about something hypothetically. If the RFU or the government allow us to start moving up through the grades at the minute, our return to rugby will be at. A, which is pretty much where we are now. Say we get back up to levels D, 
E even, where we're able to have participation sport. What are your views, Chris, in relation to playing through the summer break straight into the traditional pre-season in September? Or would you prefer your players to rest, play other traditional summer sports and come back afresh for rugby in September? Yeah, so, so this is an interesting question. And, I, and I've been thinking about this and I've actually been asking my son his views on it as well, who's obviously part of the, the team that I coach. I, I, I think... I think we've, assuming we get back before the end of the season, and that's a big assumption, obviously, I, I think we've got to continue and do something into the season. And I know the RFU have already extended it into May, in theory, if we do get back to being able to play some form of rugby. So I, I think absolutely we do something in that period. And then I think it's different for the various age groups. So if I talk specifically about my age group and, and the juniors, I think that there's definitely an opportunity to continue some form of rugby during the summer months. And whether that's all the way through to the start of the next season or for a period of it, I, I think that's still to be decided. But we should definitely do something. I mean, previous seasons, for example, we've run touch competitions at, at both the kids first and the junior levels. Um, maybe we do that again. Maybe we do something a bit more than that. Uh, and maybe there is an opportunity to keep training sessions going for an extended period as well. I come back to Roger's point, which is there's a fair chance a large percentage of the kids that do play rugby have sat in front of the PlayStation for the last X number of months. And so give, just giving them an opportunity to be outside during the summer months when hopefully the weather's a little bit better, to be able to run around with their mates, socialise and be active at the same time, I think is really important. Um, I, I'm not suggesting we go into kind of full contact training and um, uh, a smashing lumps out of each other, despite the boys enjoying that and tending to want to do that. But I do think that there needs to be some form of rugby over the summer months. And then from a junior perspective as well, certainly at under 15s and under 16s, you tend to have a bit of a pre-season. So again, I, I would probably look to have that for the, the higher age groups where you do go into much more competitive fixtures from the start of the season, from the 1st of September, effectively, because we've got to be in a position where they're prepared as well. They've, As we said earlier, they've missed out effectively on a whole season of rugby. I don't think we can walk straight into the start of the season and expect them to be in, in the right form of preparation to be able to play games straight away. So I think there needs to be some consideration of um, pre-season preparation for, for particularly the two older age groups at the junior level. Hmm. Hannah, is that is that reflected across your age group as well? Yeah, I mean, I have two children that are involved in cricket. One, one, also my daughter is is involved in like a regional development squad for cricket. So, for us, there is very much a switch in the Avos family between winter is rugby through and through, and and summer is cricket, and. And it, it's trying to marry those two things up. You know, cricket games for us are often a fair distance to travel. And, you know, we're probably talking a whole day in terms of, a you know, a, a sort of 30, 40 side over game. Um, and, and so that, that family commitment for us is quite significant. Um, however, you know, the, there is a passion for rugby. And I, and I think, you know, we're in a unique situation probably in our house with with two girls, you know, two kids that, that want to play um, cricket. Um, but I think that it has always been good to have that switch between summer sports and, and winter sports. I think my biggest concern is is the state of the pitches. You know, it becomes a much different game if there's any contact to land on a, on a very hard, dry pitch in the middle of June, July. Um, you know, is it isn't the quite the same comfort level that you get in the winter months? And and it's it's being aware of of that. I think there's an awful lot that can still be done. Um, in terms of team building, in terms of the relationship, the bonding, particularly for the girls, because every two years, they they you know every year they they move up the the age groups, and therefore that that you know the bonding and meeting new people, and and developing a team and understanding you know the skill set of individuals is is really key. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we'd like to do some stuff during the summer, um, if just for a social element as as well as returning some of those girls to the fitness levels that they'll need to be able to sprint down the pitch and 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 you know track across the pitch um you know come come the game sort of season 
Roger, your, your views on that? You strike me as a sort of man, fitness-wise, who would have done what I'd done and staying quite close to the ref, wait for the ball to come back to you. Uh, well, absolutely. <laughs> so, without a shadow of a doubt, the sooner we can get back, uh, you know, we're all agreed on that one. That has to be the, the first priority. Get back safely. And then, for me, I'm very much a case of why not? You know, I want to. I want to see uh, the boys and girls get out there and have fun. Um, you know, a bit like Hannah, my my son. He plays. He's um, plays a lot of football as well. He plays for three different football teams, and one of my concerns is that other teams will take the lead and will start grabbing players um, if we're not there. So, yes, I'd love them to be playing anything, and I think that competition is a brilliant thing for different sports. Um, but I want rugby to have its fair share and its fair bite of the apple um, and that over the summer we can offer something for the boys and girls to really uh, connect with the game again, um, connect with each other, connect with the coaches. Not quite the sevens bone on bone, but get out there and have a competitive, a laugh um, and enjoy each other's company um, at, a, at a set time, the parents know what's going on, the players know what's going on, and they're going to get back to enjoying it. Um, and the longer we can do that, I think the better. I think this year, as you keep saying, you know, we are making history within the game. Do we need that break before the season starts again in September? You know, at this point, I would suggest no, um, because it's a different, going to be a different type of activity. Uh, you know, the rules are laid down that there isn't any contact between X date and, and the beginning of the season, between the first Saturday and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of rules and procedures in place, but there's also a lot we can do. Um, and I don't think, I think in theory, we would have stopped rugby to allow them to focus on other things and have a break. Whereas now we're all itching to get back. We've had a break. We've had too long a break. Thank you very much. Let's get back to it. Um, so yeah, I'd be more than happy to to offer it. Um, and, and as we've all said, we've got strong numbers of coaches. So as long as there's enough coaches per age group, we can offer it. We can let the kids and the parents decide. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, you you heard it here first, dear listener. Get back to us uh, podcast at ewrfc.com. Let us know your views. Let us know whether you wish for a summer break or whether you are happy to partake in some form of rugby activity. Um, guys, hold on for me to there just some seconds. I'm just going to put out so a quick couple of quick club updates. Um, Steve Benson has finally finished painting the woodwork at the club, so he no longer smells of turpentine and sweat, which we're very grateful for. Uh, Steve and Mike actually are working as we... As we uh, as we talk to try and price some money out of the um, the government winter fund, which is going to be absolutely vital for us to get through the uh, the end of this season in into next season uh, with, with no income at all. It's been absolutely vital the work they're doing. Uh, John, bless his heart, is still tracing water leaks across the building, left, right, and Chelsea. Uh, we were treated to a lovely sight in the uh, physio room the other day. That work is still ongoing. Uh, don't forget the food bank on a Saturday. Bring your uh, bring your needed items, Ringwood Food Bank. You can go onto their website and see what things in your cupboard that perhaps you'd like to uh, you'd like to gift out. We have vacant roles at the club always for volunteers. Uh, we desperately need a maintenance coordinator. So if you have skills or you are very good at organising. Uh, please get in contact with me, chairman, at ewrfc.com. We could also probably do with, I think, a club volunteer coordinator. Just speaking to you lovely people, I've been mentally counting in my head. I think we're already up to about 15 volunteers just talking to three coaches. Um, so clearly that there is a need for some volunteer coordination in and around the age groups. Um, that they're all vacant. They don't pay you any money. You do them because you either like organising or you love the game and that's your payback for the years of pain that you've had to suffer. Um, let me also, as we as we start to, to wind this podcast up for this week, let me quickly talk about some sponsors. So we have a couple of sponsors for the senior sides, Dave Budd, uh, Dave Budd Roofing. 
bless him, has kindly um, sponsored our first team senior men's shirts for this season. They are literally in the bag in my wardrobe, waiting for a perfect opportunity to roll them out. We've got HPS Plumbing, uh, another local uh, company who are sponsoring the second uh, second senior men's. We're working on sponsorship for our women's sides and our third sides, but I also believe we have some sponsorship already for our lady cults. Is that is that right, Hannah? We're looking at some shirts. Yeah. This year. Now, you put me on the spot now, haven't you? No. We, we do, yeah. So um, we've had some donations um, from one of our parents, actually, who runs their own business. And now I'm in real trouble because I can't remember what it's called. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it, it's that kind of donation where, you know, if people can't give their time, actually being able to give some funding and income to the club really does does help to support it and again I think you know every player at Ellingham and Ringwood when they pull on their shirt is proud to pull on their shirt and and actually does a cracking job of, of representing the ethos um, of the club so yeah it's it's lovely to have that that funding so that you know particularly for the girls like I said when they're late to to the game you know they haven't got the kit so it's lovely to be able to dish those out and for them to feel part of the club um, you know however recently they've joined or however long they've been part of it. Yeah, it's, it's it's vitally important. It's something we spend a lot of time, uh, we, Steve Benson, spends a lot of time and effort trying to promote the game of rugby into people that perhaps have companies or have, have a little bit of money that they can put forward. 400 participants in sport just from this tiny little rugby club in Ringwood. They all need to be wearing kit. There are numerous opportunities. Again, get into us. Uh, podcast, Ellingham and Ringwood. Uh, let us know your views. Let us know where you are, what you're doing. We also need to know if we've got any birthdays or anything like that coming up. Um, you know, the, this postcard isn't just us rambling on about issues that we feel are relevant. Get back to us. Let us know. Can I put a shout out for those lovely key workers, the doctors, the nurses, the drivers, the delivery people, the people keeping us safe at night, the teachers, the healthcare assistants, everyone who's out there trying to do their absolute utmost during covid uh we as a club do appreciate your efforts um hopefully when the sun starts to break through this terrible uh, pandemic we'll all be able to meet up on a playing field and perhaps uh, perhaps enjoy a drink together shall we say right chums we're we're there that's 50 minutes of us waffling about rugby and participation and all the other wonderful things we do it just leaves me to say thank you to Roger, Hannah and Chris for your insightful comments. Um, again, give us your feedback, dear listener. Let us know what you think. Uh, and I'm going to press the stop. But before I do that, I think we should say cue the cheesy music because Mr. Stevens really needs to do something about the music he is playing on this podcast. So cue the cheesy music. Cheesy music.